Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and since we're less than a week away from the NFL Draft, for episode 27, it's time to preview the Trojans who will, or at least hope to have their names called over the three-day, seven-round draft, which is taking place in Cleveland this year. My guest today is a co-host on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, a former long snapper for the University of Rhode Island and the newly self-proclaimed mayor of draft Twitter, <laughs> Joe DeLeon. Joe, glad to have you on the Everything USC podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I love that you threw, <laughs> threw that little bit in there. Ryan, my co-host, loves to mess with me and do funny stuff like that. So I got a kick out of it. I decided to throw that into my bio. And anyone who's not familiar with draft Twitter, for some reason, so many people are a little sensitive in draft Twitter. So whenever you do stuff like that, it kind of I get a kick out of it because there's always somebody who gets upset. But thanks for throwing that in the intro. Of course. And if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or go to the website Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Joe, let the people know where they can catch you, whether it's social media, your shows, everything. Get it out there. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon on Twitter and Instagram. And then my two shows that I do with Believe, the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast and the Believe in FCS Football podcast. You can find that wherever you find a podcast. And because I'm a producer, of course, I'm going to plug Believe.com, where we've got so many fantastic shows as we're both a part of that. Literally anything you can find, we've got shows for it with hosts that are fantastic and former athletes from those teams. Be sure to check that out. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. After having just Two Trojans selected in the 2020 NFL Draft, offensive tackle Austin Jackson in the first round, 18th overall to Miami, and wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. as the second pick in round two to Indianapolis, the fewest for USC since only two were also chosen in the 2002 Draft. I think it's pretty safe to say that more will be able to hear their names called this year. SC has seven players who could realistically be considered draft prospects, and we'll start off by looking at the offensive side of the ball, and the one Trojan who is projected by most to be taken in the first round, offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker originally opted out of the 2020 season before deciding to return when the Pac-12 announced its shortened season. 
He moved from guard to the left tackle position vacated by Austin Jackson's departure to the pros and played well enough to boost his draft status a good deal. However, I think he's best suited to move back to the interior of the line at the NFL level. Joe, where do you land on that debate about his best position? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I think him playing inside is going to be best for his career. He's not that tall. He's a little bit around six foot three. His length is okay, but we know for a fact that he's a really good interior guy. The fact that he bumped outside and he played tackle is not an indication of, oh, this guy needs to play tackle in the NFL. And he he did a really good job of it. It's more so of a matter of showing he's versatile. If you're in a pinch, you can move him out there. He did really well at the college level. And that just means as soon as you move him back inside, he's going to have that experience and be good, even better when you ask him to play guard. And I honestly really think Vera Tucker is going to be a really good guard in this league because of what we've seen from him in his career so far. Guard is traditionally a position that's not taken very high in the first round. And so you're seeing projections probably middle first round on down. Where do you think he lands in the NFL draft? The first spot, I think, where he's like a legitimate contender to be selected is that 11th pick with the New York Giants. I also cover the Giants for SB Nation's Big Blue View. And that's a name that continuously circulates at that 11th spot. Dave Gettleman loves to draft unexpected players because he thinks that they're ready to play right away. And Vera Tucker fits that mold. He can step in and start immediately for that Giants offensive line that really doesn't have a clear-cut starting guard. Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez were inconsistent last year. But after there, there's a lot of threats for him to go within that 10 to 20 range. The Chargers, I think, are a really big candidate if Rashawn Slater is gone because they really need some offensive line help. So Vera Tucker is going to be gone somewhere between 10 and I think 25 is realistic. As soon as someone takes Rashawn Slater, the next most offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman needy team is going to make a jump on him. Because other than that, there's really not that many other interior guys worth selecting in the first round. Teams are just going to wait until the second round before they make that move. And what do you think is going to be the best fit for Elijah Vera Tucker in terms of a team? I know you think that the Giants have a need for him and the Chargers. What team would be the best fit for him? Well, first of all, I think the Giants could be a really strong fit for him just based on you know his play style, how he's very, very consistent. I'm looking more so for a team that is in need of some interior help that already has some established tackles, I think would be a really, really good fit for him. And that's part of the reason why I really like the Giants being one of his spots. The Philadelphia Eagles, I think, could make some really good sense as they need some help inside. Maybe if you scroll down a little bit further down the draft order, Minnesota Vikings need some interior offensive line help. The Arizona Cardinals are also in need of you know a little bit of offensive line help. I think any of those teams could be good fits. I don't think one necessarily stands over the other. All right. So again, Elijah Vera Tucker expected to hear his name called on day number one. Next, we'll move to the wide receiver position where there are two SC Trojans hoping to get their names called, beginning with Amon Ra St. Brown, three-year player for USC, and he is going to go pro early. And he led the team with 41 catches and seven touchdowns in the shortened 2020 season. Second, on the team to the returning wide receiver Drake London with 478 yards there. He is tied for 10th on the all-time USC history list with 178 catches, tied with 
current NFL receiver Nelson Aguilar. And hearing a lot of different ranges for Amon Ross St. Brown, what do you think his prospect is to get drafted on day number two? I think day two is definitely that best spot for him to be selected. Amon Ross St. Brown fits nicely in this receiver group, but the one thing we have to consider is that it is a very, very talented receiver group. Very similar to last year, we had a lot of really talented guys go early, and I think the same thing is going to be the case this season. After you go through that Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman's probably a first-rounder, but based on how certain teams value certain styles of receivers, is going to impact where Amon Ross St. Brown goes. He's probably going to end up sliding somewhere in the third round, just based on some of those guys like Rondell Moore and Kadarius Toney and Terrace Marshall, those names that are going to be gone in the second round. I would be shocked if St. Brown is still available post-day two, just because he's one of the next guys up in that almost third tier of receivers in the class. He was very productive, both inside and outside with USC. Where do you see him playing more at the NFL level? I think for him, just based on his size profile, and he's not a super big guy, only five foot 11, a little bit hair under six foot, 197 pounds. Again, not super big. Just based on that profile, and he's got decent hands, he's got pretty good hands. I think he could project a little bit better on the inside. I'd rather put him in a situation on a team that has a bigger bodied receiver playing on the outside and then ask him to play primarily what he did when he was playing inside at USC. He's probably much better off in the slot. What teams do you see as good fits for Amon Ross St. Brown? I mean, sitting in the second round, I think you could go a number of different directions for teams that just need a little bit of extra juice, second or third round, rather, a little bit of extra juice at the receiver position. You know, teams like the Green Bay Packers, obviously, Ekamania St. Brown, his brother is there, very different style receiver. Patriots still could use some receiver help. I think that the Giants, depending on what direction that they go in in the first round, they could still use some receiver help. There are a decent amount of receiver needy teams. And I think that that day two spot is going to be where a lot of guys go. And St. Brown is going to be one of the more sought after names in that range. And the other wide receiver who is probably going to be a late round selection if he gets picked, like you mentioned, there are a lot of wide receivers that you can pick in these drafts nowadays with all the teams going to pass heavy offenses. But that would be senior Tyler Vaughns, a four-year player for SC. He is the third all-time pass catcher at USC with 222 receptions in his career behind only Robert Woods and Marquise Lee on that list, ahead of guys like Dwayne Jarrett, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kareem Kelly, Johnny Morton. A lot of great names on that USC wide receiver U, like they like to call themselves. And Vaughn's coming out of Pasadena. He's taller than St. Brown at 6'2", a little bit bigger size, but doesn't necessarily have the same kind of dynamic game. Where do you think Tyler Vaughn's gets drafted, or does he not get drafted? I don't really see him being drafted. You know, I'm talking about how this is a, a pretty dynamic receiver class. There's some really fun names, even in the later round. There's a reason why he's not that highly graded by most people. The draft network has him in the 300s, which not very good prospects for him getting selected. That doesn't mean he's not going to get an NFL shot. He's probably going to get an opportunity to make a, you know, a training camp roster, but just based on the fact that he doesn't really have the traits that you're looking for in a draftable receiver, he's probably not going to get selected. For a guy who has the pedigree that he has coming from USC and a good 
wide receiver university. Do you think that helps him if he doesn't get drafted to maybe latch on as an undrafted free agent somewhere? I think that for a lot of guys that go undrafted, it's a bit of a mixed bag for how it impacts their chances. I think in, in some circumstances, it's easier to stick on a roster because of the, you know, the contract situation. It's a little bit cheaper to keep a guy like that if they end up impressing during training camp. A guy like Tyler Vaughns is going to stick around because he busts his ass on special teams. That's ultimately what you want from a guy like that is to be a backup receiver, maybe a practice squad guy, but somebody that is just going to primarily run down on kickoff, run down on punt, all of that stuff. That's what you'd be hoping to get out of him. And if he wants to make a roster, that's what his focus needs to be. And I'm sure that's the conversation that he's had with teams and also that his agent, they've probably understand that that is his best shot to make it in the NFL. You are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today to discuss the NFL draft preview for the USC Trojans is the co-host of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, Joe DeLeon. And Joe, of course, is on a couple of Believe shows as well. You can catch it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Go to the website directly as well, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter, at Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Joe, let everyone know all the places where they can catch up with you. At Joe DeLeon on Twitter and Instagram. And then the two main podcasts I do with Believe, the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, where we interview a ton of amazing NFL Draft prospects like Patrick Sertain, JC Horn. And we also talk a little bit of NFL Draft with my co-hosts, Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap, as well as the Believe in FCS football podcast. It's the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with Nara Wang. Hi, this is Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Keep listening. I know I will. Now let's turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball with the first guy we're going to talk about is a guy you've had on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, Safety Talanoa Hufanga. And I'm a big fan of Talanoa's talent. I think the issue with him is a little bit of a concern with the injury history, a little bit of a concern about his size and speed makeup, whether he's kind of a tweener at the NFL level. So there is a wide range of things I've seen about where he could end up going in the draft. Where do you see Talanoa Hufanga going on a day two or a day three? I would say late day two, early day three is a pretty realistic projection for him. This isn't a really defined safety class. It's been like that the past couple of years. There's no one really that we can say is, wow, this guy's a first rounder. We might not have a single guy get drafted in the first round out of the safety class. But similar to last year, I think once somebody goes, there's going to be a run on safeties in the second round. And that's probably going to impact Hufunga's draft stock. And what do you think are the biggest things that people have concerning him not being a higher draft pick, considering how great he was for USC and how well he played, especially when SC was successful. Well, you you talked a little bit about the injury history, but I just think it's, and I I mentioned how the draft class doesn't really have any elite players at the top, but the guys ahead of him in the second round are just really talented and they all have a lot of diverse skill sets. So I think he's 
just a tiny bit buried in a group that has some talented names. Andre Sisko, Hamsun Asilardin, Trevon Morig, Javon Holland. All of those guys just have a little bit more juice than Hufunga does, a little bit more talent. And that's no knock on Hufunga. He's just getting pushed a little bit aside because some of these guys are a little bit more dynamic, are a little bit more interesting, and a little bit more intriguing as prospects. Yeah, I think a lot of worry about his coverage skills on the back end. If he was a little bit bigger, you could maybe see him as one of those like linebacker safety hybrids, but he just isn't that big. And I don't think he can really put on the weight because of all those injuries that he's had. I think he's a guy who is stuck at being a safety, and that's probably what's hurting his draft stock. Yeah, and I can definitely see that. He And he's not a tiny guy, but I do agree that it's tough being in between. You're either small, quick, and great at covering, or you're what we see now with Jeremy Chin, who's six foot three, 220 pounds, kind of like what Jeremiah Wusakoromoa from Notre Dame is going to be this year, which is that hybrid role. There's really not a lot of guys that are built like Hufunga. You almost need to pick a side these days. You almost need to be, all right, am I going to be a big box safety that is versatile and is going to be used in specific situations? Or am I going to be rangy and a ball hawking guy that can cover from sideline to sideline, maybe a little bit capable of you know spreading the field and being able to do a lot of different things? Any teams do you see as a good fit for Talanoa Hufanga? Not in particularly. And I, I think that there are uh, you know a number of teams that could use a little bit of defensive help the Indianapolis Colts lose Malik Hooker. They could probably take a chance on him. The Tennessee Titans, their secondary, I don't think is completely defined. Someone like the New York Jets in round two or three, I think could make some sense because they're a complete mess in their secondary after they lost Jamal Adams. So you know, any team right now that's trying to rebuild their defense or just build back up after losing some players could be a good fit. And now let's go to his Defensive backfield mate, a guy who maybe surprised some people by declaring early for the draft. That would be cornerback Elijah Griffin, probably most well-known as being the son of famed rapper Warren G. But Elijah trying to make a name for himself on the football field and decided after three years at USC, he wanted to move on to the pros. And while he did show flashes of his talent at USC, I thought he was always kind of inconsistent and did have a little bit of an issue picking up penalties at times. Where do you think he falls in the NFL draft? Definitely going to be a day three pick, probably round four or five, somewhere in that range, because this corner class is very talented at the top. You got the guys like JC Horn, you got Patrick Sertain, even Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom. There's just a lot of really good players, and it's kind of easy for someone who, as you mentioned, surprised to be leaving early not really expected to be a part of this class. It's tough for somebody like that who's not as fully developed and as far along as the really talented guys to really stand out. So somewhere a little bit later on, if somebody wants to take a flyer on him. Do you think it was a good decision for him to come out early or could he have helped his stock by coming back and playing a full 2021 season? I think whoever leaves early and has a day three projection can always benefit from going back. And for his case, where he sits in this class, he just doesn't really stand out. He might have been able to do a little bit more for himself in his draft stock if he was able to put a little bit more out there on film, but there's just not enough to really go off of. We can't really talk too much about what he's going to do in the NFL because there's way more polished guys that did a lot more this season or guys like Caleb Farley who did a lot in the 2019 season enough to make them first round picks. This is just a tough circumstance for a guy who's decided to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to leave early. I'm going to test the waters. In his circumstance, he definitely should have gone back. Speaking of guys who 
went back to school for another year and definitely improved their draft positioning. Defensive lineman Marlon Tui Pelotu, the fourth-year junior out of Oregon, really showed what he could do for USC in this past 2020 season. And now there's a lot of buzz about him. Where do you see Marlon Tui Pelotu going in the NFL draft? Again, super similar to a lot of these other guys that are coming out of USC. Late day two, most likely somewhere around four or five. You're probably going to end up asking me about Tufele soon, I'm assuming. But I think that he has been a bit of a riser lately because of you know just getting to know him a little bit more. People starting to get to know him as a prospect a little bit more. That four to five round range is probably a good projection for him. Any teams do you think could use a guy like Marlon? No one in particular, but the thing again with this defensive tackle class, there's a lot of guys that are going to be in that mid-round range, kind of like the safeties, how there's nobody really, really talented at the top, but there's some just really, really good mid-round guys. If anybody's just looking for some defensive tackle depth, he could be a really good fit. Marlon wasn't really on, I would say, too many people's draft radar last year, so he came back to school and had a really good season, had two sacks out of the defensive tackle position for USC. So we'll see where he goes. And again, you brought him up. Jay Tufele, a guy who had a lot of buzz after last season and then chose to opt out of this season. And unlike Elijah Vera Tucker on the offensive side, he did not come back for a variety of reasons, not all of them football related. Some of them have to do with family and things like that. So Jay Tufele sat out the entire 2020 season and that appears to have hurt his draft stock as he was a guy that maybe people were projecting to be first or second round possibly if he had a good season, and now he's back in that middle round mix. Where do you see Jay Tufele going? Like you said, probably somewhere round three. It's weird. There were so many defensive tackles that opted out this season. Tyler Shelvin you know, is also one of them, and we end up in this spot, and for some reason, all these guys are just gradually sliding down the board. There was a one time before the season when we were talking about Christian Barmore and Marvin Wilson going in the top 15, and that's just completely out of the equation right now. I just I think that we don't really know a ton about this group because so many of them opted out, and that's hurt a lot of them. And it's just natural if you had a decent 2019 season for teams to not really have a full grasp on you. It's not like the instance with a guy like Trey Lance who did fantastically and then didn't play this year, teams got to see the highs. But we're not really 100% there yet with some of these defensive tackle prospects, and Tufele sadly fits that bill. Do you think with the opt-outs, did they hurt most of the guys, or did they help anybody in opting out of this season? I think it ultimately is going to hurt a bunch of guys. You hear about Caleb Farley, who's dealing with an injury right now. That's going to end up hurting him. Trey Lance, conversely, doesn't really hurt him that much. Jamar Chase probably not going to hurt him a ton. Micah Parsons going to hurt him a little bit. I think it's mostly a mixed bag. If there's somebody that clearly has displayed that they're capable of being a high-level elite player, it's not going to have much of an alteration on their draft stock. So the Jamar Chases, the Micah Parsons, the Caleb Farleys, those guys that we know that were first-rounders are going to still stay as first-rounders. But anybody that was that mid-round conversation, guys have proven themselves that were unproven at the beginning of the year that played in the fall, and they're now able to push their way up. Somebody has to get pushed down. It's, what have you done for me lately? That's how the evaluation process sometimes is like. And if we don't know what this guy is like right now, and we're unsure of what he's been doing during his time off, and if he's still been pushing himself, 
yeah, it's going to hurt some guys, especially anybody with a character concern. That's really going to hurt them. So it is a little bit of a mixed bag. And it, it just for Tufele, he happens to be one of those guys that ends up getting pushed a little bit, mostly because of the circumstance with the defensive tackle class. And so we will see where Jay Tufele ends up. Obviously, he did not play in the 2020 season, so he will be playing football for the first time in quite some time once a team picks him up. You are again listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Nara Wang. My guest today is the co-host of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects pod, a former long snapper for the University of Rhode Island, and he is now the self-proclaimed mayor of Draft Twitter, <laughs> Joe DeLeon. And, of course, you can catch this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Subscribe and rate it. And you can also go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. If you want to catch up with me, I'm on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Joe. Let the people know all of the various places where you can be found. Yep, at Joe DeLeon, D-E-L-E-O-N-E on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, additionally, check out my two podcasts with Believe. Believe in NFL Draft Prospects and Believe in FCS Football, wherever you can find a podcast. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Just Live a trusted source for high-quality wellness CBD products created by athletes just for you. Don't you want better sleep, more focus and energy, a stronger immune system, and less stress in your life? That's why Just Live came out with their new CBD gummy line. They have six different flavors and functions, including sleep, energy, focus, immunity, calm, and vitamin C. Plus, they're vegan and low-sugar. Just Live was founded by pro athletes Clay Thompson, Alex Morgan, Travis Pastrana, and Paul Rodriguez because they wanted a CBD product they could trust and stand behind. If you need support with sleep, focus, energy, stress, or immune health, you should be giving these a try. Right now, if you buy one of their new gummy products, you get one free. There are six different benefits to choose from, and instead of choosing just one, visit JustLive.com and use code SUPPORT. To buy one, get one free. Buy one, get one free of the new Gummies line with code SUPPORT at JustLive.com. That's buy one, get one free at JustLive.com. Use code SUPPORT. Finally, Joe, before I let you go, let's just talk about the 2021 NFL Draft in general. And as a 49ers fan who grew up in Northern California, I think we already know that Trevor Lawrence is going number one. We're pretty sure Zach Wilson is going number two to the Jets. So the big question is, who are the Niners taking at number three? We know it's going to be a quarterback, but which one is it? Who are you feeling at number three? I have been against Mac Jones since the beginning of this process, and I'm not going to move off of that spot. You just Thank don't you. move up to the third overall pick to draft Kirk Cousins, and it continuously be, is being recycled right now, but you don't move up to draft a guy that is just going to get the job done. You already have that with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now you're paying him a big contract, but why would you reset just to go and do that? It's got to be Justin Fields or Trey Lance. It's one of the two. Both of them are very talented. Both of them are fantastic athletes. Both of them have higher ceilings than Mac Jones. This isn't a situation where you don't have a quarterback and you need 
to figure your situation out immediately. You still have Jimmy Garoppolo. You're going to probably still start him this season. And then after the season, once the young guy, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, is ready to rock, you're then in a position to, if as long as Garoppolo does decently, you can trade him. I keep saying this. If Sam Bradford can go for a first-round pick, if you can trade him for a first-round pick, you can get Jimmy Garoppolo for at least a day-two pick. You can go and get something from him, some decent value if he performs well enough. So you might as well follow that trajectory instead of bringing in what people think, Mac Jones, and then bench Garoppolo, and there's no trade value. It just doesn't make any sense. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are way smarter than that. I hope so. As a 49ers fan, I hope you're exactly right because Mac Jones, I'm not even sure he's going to be that good, honestly, at the NFL level. I mean, I don't think Kirk Cousins is that good. Kirk Cousins is basically the definition of average NFL starter. That's what he is. And if that's all you want, great. Draft the guy in the second round, you know? Or late first. I just don't understand the fascination with Mac Jones when he got to play with the great talent and the great coaching that he had at the University of Alabama that he's just going to step in. And I know, listen, there are things that you can like about the guy. And again, I'm projecting him to be maybe an average NFL starter, but you don't take average NFL starting quarterbacks at number three overall. Just makes no sense. So I'm glad you're with me on that one. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. You don't move up to three to take a guy that's going to be straight down the middle. He's not going to be any better than average to slightly above average. The Kirk Cousins comp is being used for a reason. And we've seen Kirk Cousins be successful and have good seasons. But what has been the circumstance of those good seasons? Good defense, good receivers, a good running game, a strong offensive line. But his worst play has been when the offensive line was falling apart. The defense was hurt inconsistency at receiver. There's a reason why his career has been so volatile and why people are some seasons frustrated, some seasons excited about what he's done. That's what's going to be the case for Mac Jones. What we saw last year at Alabama was based on the circumstance of him having an elite offensive line, the best in the country, one of the best in the country, maybe one step below Notre Dame's, the best receivers in the country, and a Heisman Trophy winning receiver, the best running back in the country, There's not a lot of quarterbacks in college football that are going to do poorly in that circumstance, not to mention the fact that most of his offense was dump-offs and screen passes to Devonta Smith. So what is going to happen when you draft Mac Jones and you put him on a team that has a bad offensive line because they're still developing and they don't have receivers and possibly no running game? He's not going to succeed. He's not going to do well. The 49ers aren't a team like that. They're much more built than any of these other quarterback needy teams, but it just doesn't make any sense. You're telling me that Kyle Shanahan, who is incredibly creative offensively and also aggressive and loves running the football, is going to go and get Mac Jones to be the next quarterback of your team? No, he's going to go get the two fantastic athletes with big arms, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. It has to be one of them. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Jones because of all the hype that we've been put through and it's just been lodged in our heads for so long, but I really, really don't think that makes any sense. Yeah, especially if they're going to stick with saying that they're going to start Jimmy Garoppolo this year and they're not getting rid of Jimmy G, then it makes no sense then to not take a guy with a higher upside that you can get ready in a year or two to take over as the starting quarterback. And the only fearful thing is that Shanahan has a professed love of Kirk Cousins. He's a guy who moved up for C.J. Beathard for no reason. So 
there is a worry there with Shanahan's track record that maybe he has fallen in love with Mac Jones and that's the guy. I'm just hoping as a 49ers fan that that is not the answer at number three. We will see. So in the end, though, who do you see as being the best quarterback out of this draft? Is it just the easy answer of Trevor Lawrence? Okay, well, how about this? Let's take Lawrence out of the equation because I think that would make things way too simple. I think in the long run, it's going to be a battle between, if we're not talking about Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be a battle between Trey Lance and Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is getting the Deshaun Watson treatment, not what he's dealing with right now, but during the draft, for some reason, other guys were valued over him, including Mitchell Trubisky. And we saw how that turned out. Deshaun Watson ended up playing at an MVP level. Someone is going to snag up Justin Fields that is probably a little bit more built to be competitive in a year or two. And he's going to do very, very well because he has the traits to succeed. I stand by firmly as somebody who covers the FCS, though, that Trey Lance's situation and his potential is reminiscent of Patrick Mahomes. You ask him to sit for a season. He's not ready to play. You put him in. And that's why I love him going to the 49ers. You ask him to sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a year. He develops, he improves. And then eventually when he's ready to start, that dude is going to pop off. You can't ask him to play right away, but if you put him in a good circumstance like that with a very, very creative, smart offensive coordinator or play caller like Kyle Shanahan, the dude is going to explode. I'm very confident that Trey Lance could be the second best guy in this group. I'm a firm believer that in most cases, quarterbacks, regardless of whether they're drafted high or low or whatever, they should sit for at least a year, get used to the NFL way of doing things. It's a lot different being the leader of a team at the NFL level than it is at college and high school. And I know all these guys now, they all want to play right away when they get to college. They've all been going to these seven-on-seven camps and throwing the ball around from an early age. I get all of that. But you look at the best quarterbacks in the league historically. Almost none of them played from day one. Maybe they played later in their rookie year. A lot of them didn't really start until year number two. And let's just look at the top guys in the league right now. I think most people say Aaron Rodgers is probably the best quarterback in the league. That dude sat for three years. Three years. That's unheard of. And guess what? I say this all the time. Again, I'm a Niner fan. And the Niners took Alex Smith that year, who turned out to have a decent career. And props to him now retiring after that inspiring comeback that he made last season. But if you had just switched places and let Alex Smith sit for three years and played Aaron Rodgers right away, you'd probably see the reverse in careers. And people don't seem to get that. Yeah, it's just difficult, I think, now for quarterbacks to get adapted to the NFL. There is very rarely someone who can start away and compete at a a quality level. I mean, Joe Burrow is probably the most recent one that we can really pinpoint and think of, which was obviously last year, but there's very rarely a Trevor Lawrence who can start right away and Andrew Luck who can start right away. And typically when you throw guys into the fire, it's the constant battle between do you want game reps or do you want the guy to gradually work his way in? But the reality of the situation is that if you throw somebody in too quickly, those in-game live reps sometimes don't really mean much if you're constantly getting put on your ass and you're constantly making mistakes. Let them make mistakes in practice. Let them figure it out. If a guy's not ready to start, and that's a mistake that we see a lot from bad franchises, you shouldn't force him out there. It's a very rare position in any sport that you can't just ask him to go out there and compete immediately. It's not like he's a receiver or a running back or an offensive lineman who needs to get out there and get those reps. There are so many moving pieces for an NFL quarterback. The coverage, the pass protection, reading the defense in front of you, 
knowing all the route combinations, just being able to call the long wordy plays when previously you were getting a play off a sign on the sideline. It's just so much. And it's hard to ask these young 21 year old guys to immediately figure it out. Most of them are smart guys. They're very talented. They're good quarterbacks for a reason, but there's no real reason to rush them in. And I think that for the 49ers circumstance, that they're probably in the best position to groom and develop someone, which is why they traded up. And they're going to trade up for a guy that needs to be groomed and developed. That's the logical way of thinking about it. And let's hope that all this stuff is just smoke screens regarding Mac Jones. And if listen, if Mac Jones doesn't go at number three, he's going to fall in the draft, right? I mean, he's not going high if the Niners don't take him at three. I mean, there's a chance that we end up in a circumstance where Mac Jones, you know, say he slides and all four guys ahead of him are gone by pick four or five. I think somebody who still wants a quarterback will take that shot and trade up. There's going to be somebody that's like the Patriots, I think is a good example that they might say, all right, you know what? We're going to move up. We're going to go and make sure we at least get somebody. I think that's why a lot of people say that this could be a historic year for five guys going in the first 10 picks. Somebody is going to want at least something. And that might not be the best situation for Mac Jones, but there's a pretty good chance I think of that happening better than the 49ers having traded up for him. All right. So outside of the quarterbacks, who's the best overall prospect in this year's draft? That's honestly a tough question to really answer because there's a lot of guys that are super talented at their positions. And I'm going to give you two players. Penny Sewell, who the USC fans are definitely very familiar with from Oregon, is a fantastic tackle prospect, somebody who's talented enough to go in the first five picks. He is going to step in and start and do a very, very good job for a very long time. He's going to make whatever team that is offensive line hungry, very happy once they take him because he's athletic, he's young, he's still developing. But what he's been able to do despite not being that far along in his development, is pretty crazy. And once he hits the ceiling, I think he's going to be one of the best tackles in the league. And then Kyle Pitts, you have to bring him up in this conversation. It is unheard of for a guy of his size at six foot six, around 240 pounds, to move the way that he does, to be as dominant as he is in the red zone. He is going to be, I don't even consider him a tight end. The guy's just an offensive weapon. Someone creative is going to draft Kyle Pitts, and they're going to have a field day with him. Hopefully he doesn't end up on a team that likes to run two tight end sets and grounded pound because that would be the biggest waste of Kyle Pitts. I want to see him on an offense that likes to spread the field, that is going to have some fun with him, try to use him on you know go routes and get creative with him in the red zone, all that kind of stuff because he has the capability to just be a dominant offensive player. I wouldn't even really pigeonhole him and say like, oh, he's going to be Darren Waller. He's just going to kick ass. That's the type of guy that he's going to be because he's so rare of an athlete playing this tight end position. Yeah, if the Niners didn't already have an all-pro tight end in George Kittle, I would have said, okay, you move up to number three to draft a guy like Kyle Pitts. That's how good he is, and I'm totally with you on Panay Sewell, having watched the guy play at Oregon against USC and just against Pac-12 teams in general, and I think he's going to be great for a long time. I think he is, for some reason, getting hurt by the opt-out and dropping maybe a few slots that he should not be dropping. But I think you brought up two great names for guys who could end up being the best players. Even if you want to include the quarterbacks, they might just be the best players in the draft when we look back in 10 years at the class of 2021. So before I let you go, you're an FCS guy, so you like to dig deep for the diamonds in the rough. Who are some late round prospects we should keep an eye on who could end up being really good NFL players? Yeah, if we're talking specifically FCS guys, there's a couple guys that I continue to plug 
the two main ones that are going to be day three prospects. Ellerson Smith out of UNI, rare athlete, super, super long, six foot seven, 260 pounds and moves way better than you'd expect for a guy of his size. With his length and all that stuff, I think he could develop into a, a quality starter for a team. Going against Spencer Brown every day at Northern Iowa has really helped him develop and get a lot better. And then Kate Johnson from South Dakota State, dynamic receiver, was dominant for the Jackrabbits. He is going to be somebody who could turn into a, you know, an underrated offensive weapon, if not just a really good fourth or fifth receiver on a team that likes to rotate receivers. So both of those guys, I think, are names to be aware of. If your team is interested in maybe drafting a lesser-known small school guy, they could be some surprises on your roster. Joe, great talking NFL draft stuff with you and getting your thoughts on the USC guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, maybe post draft we can have some conversations about where these guys landed and all that good stuff. But thanks for having me on. For my guest, Joe DeLeon of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us on episode 27 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.